This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. The first rap song I ever loved was Wild Thing by Tone Loke. Deal with it. So be my queen if you know what I mean. And let's do the wild thing. This is 1989. Tone Loke is 23 years old, born and raised in Compton, Los Angeles, a single father also caring for his sick mother. Loke is a gang name. It's a crip name. But Tone Loke wants to be a rapper, an entertainer, a unifier, a pop star, a man of the people, all of them. He wants to make people laugh. He wants to make people dance. He'd like to teach the world to do the wild thing. And now he's got the number one album in America. Loked After Dark, released in January 89. Iconic album cover, Loked After Dark. Homage to Donald Byrd, the jazz trumpeter. 1964's A New Perspective, famous Blue Note Records album cover. He's posing with a sports car, the Jaguar E-Type. I owned Loked After Dark on cassette. I loved it. Donald Byrd reference went way over my head. But then again, back then, what didn't? She said, hey, you too. I was once like you, and I like to do the wild thing. First time I heard Wild Thing, I was 10 years old watching MTV on the television over the bar of a Mexican restaurant on the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri. Casa Gallardo, the taco meat was a little spicy, transfixed by the Wild Thing video. Delighted. The guitar riff, of course, is an Eddie Van Halen sample, Jamie's crying, over my head. Initially, it was over Tone Loke's head. Also, his producer, Matt Dyke, hooked up. The Van Halen sample. In the video, Tone Loke is wearing a delicious vinyl t-shirt. That's his label, co-founded by Matt Dyke, actually. Wearing your own record label's t-shirt in your video is acceptable if you're Tone Loke. Delicious Vinyl became a famous L.A. rap label. In 92, they put out the first Far Side record, Over My Head. The Wild Thing video, of course, it's black and white, and Tone Loke has the backing band of bored-looking models. It's a parody of Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love video. Possibly that wasn't Over My Head. Maybe I got that one. Nonetheless, the emotional, the physical, the purely logistical intricacies of the quote-unquote wild thing way over my head. But that's what happens when body starts slapping from doing a wild thing. All I knew is this guy made me laugh, made me want to dance. I didn't really dance, of course. Too self-conscious, but Tone Loke made me want to. As a compromise, when Wild Thing came on at the roller rink, 
on the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri, I would skate in circles, roller skating quite slowly, clinging to the side rails, but still transfixed, still delighted. Roller skating poorly to Wild Thing is maybe as carefree as I've ever been in my life. Wild Thing was the first rap single ever certified platinum. A million singles sold. 2.5 million. Actually, biggest single in any genre since We Are the World back in 85. This song is a big part of how rap becomes pop. But Wild Thing stalled out at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, beat out by Paula Abdul's Straight Up. It was a whole fiasco. Delicious vinyl were pissed, justifiably. This is what a Billboard chart methodology controversy looked like back in 89. Wild Thing didn't have enough radio play. See? In the Midwest especially. See? Friggin' St. Louis. Radio's cold reception to Wild Thing was possibly due to rap music bias or possibly due to uh, moral objections. I need $50 to make you holler. I get paid to do the wild thing. <laughs> Name a more iconic description of capitalism than I need $50 to make you holler. A specter is haunting Los Angeles. The specter of chart-topping, fun-loving rappers who just want you to laugh and dance and so forth. You know what else they'd like you to do, actually? She's dressed in yellow. She says, hello. Come sit next to me, you fine fellow. You run over there without a second to lose. And what comes next? Hey, bust a move. The second rap song I ever loved was Bust a Move by Young MC, Deal With It. This is spring 1989. Young MC is 22 years old, born in London, moved to Queens, New York as a kid, went to USC, got an economics degree, wrote the lyrics to Tone Loke's Wild Thing. Sure, Delicious Vinyl put out Young MC's debut album, Stone Cold Rhyming, in the fall of 89. Bust a Move was certified platinum as well. Made you laugh, made you want to dance. My one legitimate dance move. My signature wedding dance move takes place only during the drum break to bust a move, the Dennis Coffee sample. What you do is you find two little kids of slightly different heights dancing close together, and then you dance over to them, and then you play air bongos over their heads to the bust a move drum break. You got to know the kids or the parents a little bit to do this safely. This is a very specialized dance move, Haley's Comet. Aspect, but when the stars align, I assure you it is quite amusing. Kids Love Me, the third rap song I ever loved. You guessed it. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You Can't Touch This by MC Hammer. Born and raised in Oakland, California. He's a little older at this point, 28. He'd been a bat boy for the Oakland A's. He'd put out a couple albums already. He's got, you know, the pants. He makes you want to watch him dance. I also owned on cassette his third album, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. Released in February 1990 in the first rap album to go diamond. 10 million copies sold in America. He bought among other things, gold-plated gates for his mansion emblazoned with the slogan, Hammer Time, proper. What you say, Hammer? Proper. 
Rap is not pop. If you call it that, then stop. Q-Tip said that. Q-Tip from a tribe called Quest back in Queens. God bless a tribe called Quest, but rap is definitely pop now. And the specter of chart-topping, fun-loving rappers who just want you to laugh and dance is now haunting the Bay Area as well. Pretty much it's haunting the whole country. Uh, sheesh. My name is Rob Harvilla. This is 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Today, we're talking about Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. I promise. This is my 37th episode and officially my longest windup. It's called Establishing a Lineage. I should clarify, for example, that despite blowing up in 1989, Tone Loke and Young MC have since been claimed culturally by the 90s. Decade creep. I suppose. Or anyway, both these guys are veterans of the I Love the 90s concert tour, which launched in 2016 and will resume in August 2021 with a revolving lineup, also including the likes of Rob Bass, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Kid and Play, Naughty by Nature, and Tag Team, and therefore implicitly seeks to define 90s music as chart-topping, fun-loving rappers who just want you to laugh and dance. As is the case with your 2021 headliner, Vanilla Ice, who in 1990 released what is, if I'm honest with you, and I try to be, the fourth rap song I ever loved, Ice Ice Baby. Police on the scene, you know what I mean? They passed me up, could run it all, I don't mean Did they now? A specter is haunting, chart-topping, fun-loving rap music, the specter of a white guy from Dallas. Just in case I don't make it back here, I need to tell you that I also own the blockbuster 1990 Vanilla Ice album To The Extreme on cassette. And whenever anybody within a 50-mile radius even says the words To The Extreme out loud, I am obligated to bust through the wall like the Kool-Aid man and remind you that the last song on To The Extreme is a beatboxing showcase called Have a Roni. <laughs> Thank you for your indulgence. Is chart-topping, fun-loving rap music real rap music in the Q-tip sense? How embarrassed should I be to tell you that Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back was the eighth or ninth rap song I ever loved. Baby Got Back was the second biggest hit of 1992 after End of the Road by Boys to Men. Sir Mix-a-Lot was born and raised in the suburbs of Seattle. His songs One Time's Got No Case should be taught in law school. Is a rap song less credible if it crosses over to the pop charts? Or more to the point, if it crosses over to all the white kids at the roller rink in St. Louis, do you take a hit rap song less seriously if it makes you want to dance, if it's funny? If even the white kids are dancing, if the white kids are laughing, who gets to laugh and at what, at whom? This conflict did not originate with Coolio, but few chart-topping, fun-loving rappers of the 90s did a better job of unifying America, and pretty much nobody found that experience more alienating. Coolio was born artist Leon Ivey Jr. in 1963, born and raised in South Central Los Angeles, raised mostly by a single mother. He had asthma. He was a bookworm. He skipped the sixth grade. He had some youthful association with the Crips. He turned to theft, to burglary in his adolescence, and he turned 18 while in jail for attempting to cash a money order associated with an armed robbery. In his early 20s, he struggled with crack addiction. He got clean in part by moving up north to San Jose for a spell to live with his father and work as a firefighter for the California Department of Forestry. As he later told Spin Magazine with regards to crack, I didn't quit through firefighting. I quit through God. It happened through willpower. It was time for me to stop. God had plans for me 
and so he made me stop. He started rapping seriously in the late 80s. He hadn't settled on a rapper name yet until one day he's fucking around playing a little guitar or something, and one of his friends says, who do you think you are, Coolio Iglesias? Ergo, Coolio first broke out as a legit recording artist on 1991's Ain't a Damn Thing Changed, the debut album from the L.A. group WC and the Mad Circle. That's mad spelled M-A-A-D. For you Kendrick Lamar fans, WC was the leader and fellow rapper. Producers included Crazy Tunes and Dr. Dre's cousin, Sir Jinx, who'd already worked a ton with Ice Cube. Maybe it's hindsight that makes me say Coolio already sounds like a star on a song like Ain't a Damn Thing Changed, but Coolio already sounds like a star. Ain't a damn thing changed, sucker, how could you figure? Coolio and crazy tools would ever sell out, nigga. Sweating khakis and t-shirts, beanies and starter caps, and laying funky raps on a dope track. More importantly, Coolio's in his late 20s by this point and has already lived several lifetimes, and he can describe those lives to you with, let's say, a youthful ferocity and vivacity. But he is also already grappling with the question of how to sell himself without selling himself out. Should I dance holler for a couple of dollars? I sell away my soul to put a rope on my collar. I was taken from the list of the lost and missing, rapping down a dark road on my way to prison. In 1991, pre-startup, Coolio already has a grim awareness of how rap music is sold, how the rappers themselves are sold to those rap fans not born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. He is aware of the national cultural biases he is expected by those eager outsiders to confirm. Do I have to use a gat to show you where I'm at? A pose with a four-ounce faking like a killer With a long black rack like a small-time dope dealer Diamonds on my finger and women at my feet huh? A house that I don't own and no respect on the street a house that I don't own and no respect on the street. Coolio gets that the rap is not pop debate is in part about perception versus reality. Their perception versus your reality. By their perception, I mean the slack-jawed kids watching MTV. Coolio understands the assignments. Coolio understands the pitfalls, the stereotypes inherent to the assignment. His charisma, his buoyancy, his lighthearted aura, his copious star power, all of this will work both for and against him as he becomes a star himself, which he does in 1994 with the release of his debut solo album, It Takes a Thief, which kicks off with an ecstatic and unifying little tune called Fantastic Voyage. Ain't no blood, ain't no gripping, ain't no punk ass nigga said tripping. Everybody got a stack and it ain't no crap. And it really don't matter if you're white or black. I Maybe it doesn't. Fantastic Voyage, which peaked at number three on the Hot 100, does not so much sample the Dayton, Ohio funk band Lakeside's 1980 hit Fantastic Voyage as commandeer it buoyantly. But the video for Coolio's Fantastic Voyage is where Coolio truly shows you where he's at. The charisma the whimsy, the mysterious gentleman with the cane and the pink suit who transforms a bicycle into a Chevy Impala convertible, which Coolio then drives. Cue the on-screen treasure map from Da Hood to Da Beach, and then there's hundreds of partygoers emerging from the trunk of the Impala. And there is also the matter of Coolio's hair, the spidery braids. Quite a striking look. This is quite a striking human being. And musically, his lane appears to be escapism, even if there's quite a chasm physical and metaphysical, between what many of his newly minted MTV-bred fans might be escaping and what Coolio himself is escaping. 
I'm trying to find a place where I can live my life and maybe eat some steak with my beans and rice up. Place where my kids can play outside without living in fear of a drop-by. But y'all don't want to hear him. You just want to dance. The first single off It Takes a Thief was actually County Line, in which Coolio applies in person for government assistance and distracts himself from his embarrassment by painting a vivid picture of everything and everyone around him. He's referring to the WC and the Mad Circle record, which sold 150,000 copies or so. After It Takes a Thief comes out, Coolio's government assistance days are over. So while you still can, you better savor the experience of Coolio not savoring this experience at all. I take a number and a seat. I'm sweaty from the heat. Somebody got their shoes off. I smell their feet. My nose. There's just such a goofy swagger to this guy. He's playful, he's funny, he's self-deprecating, but also his storytelling gets sharper as the mood gets darker. One of my favorite songs on this record is the title track, It Takes a Thief, in which Coolio returns to his burglary days. There's this sumptuous, dusky, G-funk ominousness to it. And this might be just another transgressive, crime fiction, fantastic voyage for you, but that's not quite what this song means to him. I got a gutter that I cut through your window like butter Suction cup, window one Now I'm on the inside looking for some loot 38 special, I don't want to have to shoot 38 special, I don't want to have to shoot. Coolio is not a rapidy rap type rapper This is not a bars situation But there's an economy of phrase It gets to you, it sticks with you It brightens the comedy, it heightens the drama did I need my mail, my snaps, my dollars, my ends My grip ain't high enough, so I'm robbing all my friends Somebody out there's out to get me The smaller the nigga, the bigger the gap be It Takes a Thief, the album, debuted and peaked at number eight on the Billboard album chart So, a hit. Was it a pop hit? Though, in 1995, in a Rolling Stone profile, Coolio talked about how after Fantastic Voyage blew up, he worried that he'd alienated his core audience. So for the album's next and last single, he picked the much grittier and funkier Mama I'm in Love with a Gangster, a duet with the rapper LaShawn, who you remember perhaps from LL Cool J's doing it, in which Coolio plays a guy in prison and she plays his possibly unfaithful girlfriend on the outside. It's a gritty lover's quarrel. It's played for laughs, but he also slaps you in the face super hard in the first 30 seconds. There's an MTV video for this song too, though notably it changes that line from don't tell him that I'm doomed Keep lying and tell him I'll be home soon too. Don't tell him that I'm doing time and tell him I'll be home soon. And just that frivolous change, just the idea that this song's clean version had to avoid the word doomed in relation to prison, this says a lot to me about when and how rap gets to be pop. For his part in Rolling Stone, talking about Fantastic Voyage, Coolio said, I don't think you can classify rap as pop. The only time people classify rap as pop is when they start playing it on white stations. Relatedly, in the summer of 1995, a Coolio song played a crucial part in a major motion picture with, let's say, some awkward 
dynamics in terms of race relations. And that movie, of course, was Clueless, Amy Heckerling's deified rom-com. I love Clueless. Everyone loves Clueless, in large part for its super endearing awkwardness. As when the quirky new girl, Ty, that's Brittany Murphy, is at the house party and she gets clocked in the head with a shoe and then bonks her head on a kitchen lamp and then Cher, that's Alicia Silverstone, contrives for Ty to console herself with a hunky Elton, that's Jeremy Sisto, at which point Ty and Elton bond over a Coolio song called Rollin' With My Homies. Some bump you got there. You ready to go back out there? Yeah. All right. Sherry, can you do this? Rolling with the homies. Rolling with the homies. Yeah, let's do it. You ready? Let's not belabor this. Two attractive white people singing along to a song called Rolling with My Homies is like a 1.5 on the racial awkwardness Richter scale. But yeah, also in summer 1995, less than a month later, in fact, in August, Michelle Pfeiffer stars as a former Marine turned inner city high school English teacher in the gritty melodrama, Dangerous Minds. Don't get involved. Let's not belabor this either. Do you need me to tell you that the white savior premise of Dangerous Minds is a wee bit ill-advised? You don't. This isn't a hot take situation. This isn't a once beloved film aging poorly. Beavis and Butthead had Dangerous Minds pretty much figured out back in 95. Oh, yeah. This is from that movie where, like, you know, that white chick goes into the hood and teaches everybody how to get good grades. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they always have movies like that where there's this teacher and they're, like, all good and, like, everybody, like, stops being a gangster and then they get good grades and go to college. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, you know, she, like, makes a difference or something. <laughs> yeah, that's really stupid. Never once doing this show have I regretted seeking the counsel of Beavis and Butthead. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer entices her students by teaching them Bob Dylan lyrics. Bob Dylan and then Dylan Thomas. Yeah, don't get involved. But yes, holy shit, here it is. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Bars. Me saying bars is a 2.5. Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise is one of the most striking opening lines of the decade in rap, in pop. And partially that's down to the almost shocking Tupac caliber intensity of his voice, the genuine despair, the volcanic preacher's grandiosity. This is Coolio reveling in all his charisma and ferocity and even swagger, but he's not laughing. He's not trying to make you laugh. This resulted in quite a bit of awkwardness. So, Gangsta's Paradise is produced by Doug Rashid, who worked with Tupac, Whitney Houston, LL Cool J, Brandy, and his wife, Shaka Khan. Gangsta's Paradise, of course, commandeers Stevie Wonder's Pastime Paradise. From Stevie's 1976 double album, Songs in the Key of Life. I am disinclined to say anything glib or fake insightful about songs in the key of life. It's one of the single greatest pieces of art ever produced by America. How's that? You don't talk about songs in the key of life. It's not a topic for discourse. Pastime Paradise, in fact, is about misguided people reveling in a fraudulently idyllic past or misguided people fixating on a fraudulently idyllic future or both. Not a great theme song for this show, necessarily. 
Stevie agreed to clear this sample if Coolio took out the curse words in Gangsta's Paradise, which of course Coolio did. Also, Stevie asked for 95% of the publishing. (laughs) The modified hook of Gangsta's Paradise is of course sung by L.V., an L.A. native equally immersed in West Coast gangster rap and gospel, and he sings the hell out of this song. And in a Rolling Stone oral history of this song back in 2015, L.V. talked about how he personally sang every part of the backing choir in this song. L.V. is the whole choir, which had never occurred to me as even possible. Coolio will gladly tell and retell the story on the radio for oral histories over a plate of hot wings, whatever, about the day he stopped by his manager's house in L.A. to pick up a check. And there was a little studio in there. And Coolio gets the check and leaves the house. And there's a Chevy Biscayne for sale in the driveway of the house next door. And he stops to talk to the neighbor for a little bit about maybe buying the Biscayne. And then Coolio's got to go to the bathroom. So he goes back in the house, uses the bathroom, walks by the studio, and Doug Rashid is in there futzing with the beat to Gangsta's Paradise. And Coolio says, that's mine. And then freestyles immediately as I walk through the valley, through the shadow of death, etc. Coolio calls it divine intervention. He says that the song wrote him. This is certainly a the song wrote me sized song from a commercial standpoint. Coolio once said, I was thinking to myself, man, with what's going on in the video and what I'm saying, there's no way white people are going to get into this song. No way. But I was wrong. Three weeks at number one on the Hot 100. Nine weeks at number two, which is bizarre and implies tone loke, wild thing type chart methodology hijinks. Sometimes Michael Jackson's You Are Not Alone was number one. Sometimes it was Mariah Carey's Fantasy. Gangsta's Paradise as a single went triple platinum, three million copies sold. And it was, in fact, the best-selling single, the biggest song of 1995 overall. The first time the best-selling single of the year was a rap song. Rap Equal sign, pop. Gangsta's Paradise first appeared, of course, on the Dangerous Minds soundtrack. Coolio says that this song almost appeared in the movie Bad Boys instead, but Bad Boys wouldn't pay enough money. And this is a tragedy, in my opinion. Will Smith diving in slow-mo out of a helicopter, falling in slow motion for four minutes, somehow holding four Sig Sauer P226 handguns. Did I say that gun name right? Probably not. He's holding four handguns in two hands and using them to blow up a submarine to the dulcet tones of Coolio showing you where he's at and where he came from and the place he can never truly escape. Look at the situation they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the state. So I gotta be there with the hood team. Too much television watching got me chasing dreams. Speaking of television watching, the Gangsta's Paradise video, of course, co-stars Michelle Pfeiffer, which is to say the video consists of Michelle Pfeiffer sitting in a chair in a smoky room and listening to Coolio rap. And I was always struck by how hard Michelle Pfeiffer listens in this video. It's just a very intense physical display of listening. It's like someone told her there was an MTV Video Music Award for hardest listening. There's a metaphor in there somewhere. 
I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a locked out gangster, set tripping banker. And my homies is down, so don't arouse my anger, fool. If you've ever watched somebody do Gangsta's Paradise at karaoke, I don't recommend this, then you know that you can basically determine the singer's blood alcohol level just by how hard the singer leans into the fool there. Coolio's various fools. The fools are central to the song's force and personality and steely charisma. They help make the song distinct and unforgettable and ripe for homage, for parody, which in turn made this inevitable. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows. Fool and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. Free documentary idea. People who don't like Weird Al Yankovic. What's their deal? What makes them tick? What do they find joyful? Weird Al Yankovic's Amish Paradise appeared on his 1996 album, Bad Hair Day. Al's got Coolio braids on the cover. That's a 3.0. So don't be vain and don't be whiny or else my brother, I might have to get medieval on your hiney. Top five all-time Weird Al moment in the Amish Paradise video when he's churning butter (laughs) and the foxy Amish lady walks past him and he starts churning butter faster. (laughs) It's the subtleties. So, Coolio quite famously, was quite upset about Amish Paradise at first. Weird Al's parodies are protected by fair use, legally, theoretically, but he always asks an artist's permission before doing a song parody, and most artists, other than Prince, take it as a profound honor. Kurt Cobain was thrilled, for example. But in this case, Al's label had talked to Coolio's label, but Coolio himself was unaware and Al was unaware that Coolio was unaware. And backstage at the 1996 Grammys, after winning the Best Rap Solo Performance Grammy for Gangsta's Paradise, beating out both Biggie and Tupac, Coolio was asked about Amish Paradise, and he said this, I ain't with that. No, I didn't give it any sanction. I think that my song was too serious. It ain't like it was Beat It. Beat It was a party song. But I think Gangsta's Paradise represented something more than that. And I really, honestly and truly, don't appreciate him desecrating the song like that. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? 
you take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Al was very upset about this and very apologetic, and Coolio eventually would soften his stance on Amish Paradise. Now, Coolio will gladly tell you that being upset about Amish Paradise was, quote, probably one of the least smart things I've done over the years. Weird Al versus Coolio is now safe, defanged, nostalgic trivia, but Coolio at the Grammys using the word desecrated knocks me sideways. For a second, Gangsta's Paradise is at heart a very serious song, an anguished song, a tragic song. It is a party song also due to critical mass, due to ubiquity, due to the size and diversity of its audience, due to it being a blockbuster pop song. It's a pop song no matter what Q-Tip might think, or for that matter, what Coolio might think. There's a tense moment right at the beginning of that 1995 Rolling Stone profile of Coolio where the interviewer describes Gangsta's Paradise as, quote, a romanticized view of the hood. And Coolio says, what do you mean Gangsta's Paradise is a romanticized view of the hood? I'm trying to understand why you use that description. The interviewer backpedals, it blows over, but this tension is always there for me. Right in the song, Coolio's intensity, the thrilled listener's intensity, and the reality that those are, in all likelihood, two very different kinds of intensity. They say I got to learn, but nobody's here to teach me. If they can't understand it, how can they reach me? I guess they can't, I guess they won't, I guess they front. That's why I know my life is out of luck, fool. I love Weird Al. I will fight and probably die fighting for Weird Al. Al, in that Gangsta's Paradise oral history, explained the rationale behind Amish Paradise this way. Amish Paradise seemed a perfect irony. The Amish lifestyle is diametrically opposed to the gangsta lifestyle, and I immediately saw a lot of comedic potential in rapping about life on the mean streets of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The least generous read of Amish paradise that I can offer you is that for some large percentage of Weird Al's target audience, the Amish lifestyle and the gangster lifestyle are equally remote, equally exotic, equally outside of that relatively comfortable audience's lived experience. Make of that what you will. Coolio made a sustainable, if tumultuous, career out of it. In November 95, he put Gangsta's Paradise on his second album, which he called Gangsta's Paradise, and that record hit number one. His next album in 1997 was called My Soul. His next album in 2001 was called Coolio.com, and so on. He was on Wife Swap and several other reality television programs. He has a cookbook. It's apparently a very good cookbook. He has lived. He has thrived even, in the wide emotional spectrum suggested by the album titles My Soul 
and coolio.com. He's a lot of fun. Coolio, have fun with Coolio. Just keep in mind, Coolio's also got a lot to say, even if a lot of it goes over a lot of people's heads. Then again, what doesn't? Our guest today is the god Christopher R. Weingarten, writer and editor and critic. He's written for the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, Rolling Stone, Spin, The Village Voice, and others. He wrote a 33 and a third book about public enemies. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. He won Twitter. He's a web developer now also. He does it all. He's the best. Hello, Chris. Hi. Thanks for such a, a warm welcome. <laughs> it is wonderful to talk to you today, Chris. And there's no one I'd rather talk about Coolio with. <laughs> I hope you will I hope you will take that in the proper spirit. Uh there's a lot going on here, but to start as simply as possible, is Gangsta's Paradise a great song? You know me, I am an inveterate list maker. Mm-hmm. And I went to my personal list <laughs> of the greatest rap singles of 1995. Uh-huh. And I and on a quick look, I have Gangsta's Paradise ranked around number 73 <laughs> of the best rap singles of 1995. I was hoping for top 30. I guess I have to accept top 75. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is to say, mm-hmm. as a rap song, it's, you know, it's not Goody Mob, but, you know, mm. as a rap-adjacent pop song, obviously it's, uh, you know, a perennial classic and amazing. So, sure. you know, it certainly has... Many, many merits. And Coolio is an incredibly underrated figure of the 90s. And I, I know this this show is about understanding the 90s. Mm. And I want to uh, tell you uh, the secret to this song being uh, the hands down biggest song of 1995, you know, qualitatively by Billboard. Right. Uh-huh. Three weeks on the top of the chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the absolute secret to that. It's a Stevie Wonder song. That's <laughs> um, a valid you know, point. Yeah, it's a Stevie Wonder song, and Stevie Wonder is a Stevie Wonder. You want you want to know what's even uh, more key to understand the, the 90s? That Will Smith did a song about U.S. Marshal Artemis Gordon and Dr. Arliss Loveless for his steampunk spider movie, <laughs> and that went to number one. Why? It was a Stevie Wonder song. Yes. It's not rocket science there. Underrated figure, Stevie Wonder. Someone needs to explain Stevie, yeah. Someone needs to explore Stevie. And, you know, and it's like I honestly, uh, upon thinking way, way too much about Coolio this week. Good. You know, I think Stevie might be the last genius before the MTV era started in earnest. Mm-hmm. You know, because as soon as as soon as MTV hit, you know, you had your, your altruistic figures like Prince and, you know, Michael and Quincy and all those guys. Yeah. And Stevie was like the last one before MTV sort of flattened that 20 year period, you know, where, where you would, you know, you'd turn on a countdown and see Coolio next to Prince and next to Michael Jackson and whatever. Right, but, right. you know, Stevie was firmly in VH1 land at that point. So, you know, Coolio, <laughs> Coolio, you know, sort of rescued this, 
you know, not, certainly not a forgotten song. It was on Songs of the Key of Life, for fuck's sake. But Pretty you know, popular he, album, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he he pulled it from the depths of the collective memory in a, in a fantastic way that yes. obviously, obviously connected. Okay, you called it a rap-adjacent pop song. Is that distinct from a pop-adjacent rap song? Like, what is... that? That's a, the key to understanding Coolio, to my mind, is his struggle with, is he rap, is he pop? Where are you on this? That's Fantastic Voyage is a, <laughs> a pop-adjacent rap song. You know, Coolio uh, was a very unique figure in that he he walked all of those worlds brilliantly. He had incredibly hard songs and on the other hand he could be on all that and do the Keenan and Kel song. <laughs> uh, he had a he was a very, very unique for a pop star at the time. Yeah. It's of that moment. And I, you know, I was thinking a lot about that, about how up until about nineteen ninety three, if you were gonna have a hit rap song, mm-hmm. you had to either be something that was like just grasping for that brass ring like Marky Mark or Criss Cross or MC Hammer or yeah. kind of like a, a novelty song like the Humpty Dance which you know rest in peace Chuck G is a genius you know but yeah. you know it's like it's a it's a viral dance in a way or mm-hmm. that kind of like alternative world flukes like PM Dawn Arrested Development that all changed with The Chronic and Dr. Dre Yes. And what Snoop. they, yeah. yes, Snoop. And what they did, and, and Jimmy Iovine, you know, has a little hand in that too. But like what they did was say, like, what if the hardest gangster rap record was pop music? Mm-hmm. And after that record, for about two, three years, and Gangster Paradise is, is part of that two, three years, you know, there was this idea that you could make these hardcore rap records, but you also made some concession to pop music, which which is why Dre and Snoop had those, like, they're legendary clean versions of all those songs. Like, you know, it's, you'd sing them in the back of the school bus, and a lot of times, you know, you'd be singing the clean version because they were so, <laughs> so omnipresent. Right, right. Uh, you know, and they made, they made that effort. And there was this whole two years of this kind of, like, post-G-Funk, radio-friendly hardcore rap clean versions you know warren g's regulate is not an especially filthy song Mm -hmm. you know however mtv did cut it to shit because it mentioned guns and it wasn't by white people so (laughs) well said well yeah no it's like you know it's like there was a spin article back then where you know johnny cash's deal is gone from the american recording thing was out the exact same time a very vivid and violent song. Uh, and, you know, MTV had no qualms of playing that, but Warren G right. got cut to shreds. You know, Fantastic Voyage, not a lot of swears in Fantastic Voyage, and all those kind of breezy LA Domino's Ghetto Jam, Ahmad's Back in the Day, Skilo's I Wish. Mm, uh, I forgot that one. Ah, I forgot I Wish. I, yeah. I feel stupid now. Yeah. See, episode 61, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> all those. All those songs, they weren't squeaky clean, but they worked well as clean versions. And you could thank, yes. you could thank Stevie Wonder because Coolio actually mm-hmm. went to Stevie and said, you know, hey, we're going to do this song. He's like, I'm cool that if you take all the swears out. 
And also give me an enormous chunk of the 95% of the publishing <laughs> also. God, Stevie Wonder. Um, I did find a tweet of yours from 2012 where you said, I'm hearing the dirty version of Coolio's Fantastic Voyage for the first time ever. Hashtag mind blown. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is Coolio on the radio or on MTV like a completely different person or at least a different artist than Coolio? The dirty version. I wouldn't say completely different. You know, I, I yeah. would say, you know, compared to like AMG or something, you know, his, hmm. he, you know, he, his stuff's very PG-13. It's not, it's not the records that were getting people thrown in prison in Miami. You know, it's like they, yes. they are, they, they're a PG-13 and they're still like, you know, you buy It Takes a Thief and there's still like songs on there like, Hands on my nutsack, and uh, what's the other one? Ugly, you know, what's the other one called? Ugly bitches. Ugly about- bitches. Yes, there's a song. Um, yeah, and you know, it's undiluted rap, but mm-hmm. you know, he's not he's not a total potty mouth, and so he was able to make that shift right. uh, very easily. You know, and then I think in 1996, 97, that was when Bad Boy Takeover started in mm-hmm. earnest, and that was just like you know. At last, we're rapping about blunts and bras, blunts and bras, tits and bras, menage a trois, sex and expensive cars. Like that whole, yeah. that whole thing is just unfiltered. And why you know you turn on rap music on the radio for the last twenty years, and it's it's like Wayne Campbell in Wayne's World doing the bit where he's speaking into the drive-in speaker, and every other word is cut out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Excellent know. reference. Yeah. Every every guest is required to make a Wayne's World reference oh, on the show. Yeah. So let's, we yeah, got that forgot, out of the way. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. It's like you're going to have me on the Ringer podcast. I was wondering if I had to Google who Vlade Divac was before okay. I went out. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's fine. Vlade's fine without your extensive knowledge of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> you. <laughs> You once said that Kendrick Lamar's whole from the L.A. streets, but not of the L.A. streets perspective was basically Coolio's lane in the 90s. Like, what do you make of early pre-fame Coolio? Oh, you know, early free, blah, blah, blah. early pre-fame Coolio, you know, he was in uh, WC in the Mad Circle. Mm-hmm. You know, they were pretty hardcore, but yeah. Coolio still was Coolio. Like, he wasn't... Easy E, and then turn right. it into this kind of pop centric thing. Like he always was kind of that guy, mm-hmm. and he always, always, always carried. You know, he was the first one to say, "Like I'm not a gangster," mm-hmm. which isn't to say he didn't have rough times because he had rough times in 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 the eighties. Right. You know, he grew up in Compton. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he was briefly addicted to crack. He had some prison time. Like he's he saw this stuff and yeah. lived this stuff, but. He gets on the other side, you know, we're talking 10 years later or whatever, and he wants to use his platform to uplift. And it's more of a, it's the same kind of thing that Kendrick is doing, this kind of street reportage of like, here is this universe that I have witnessed firsthand. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to sit here in front like I was center stage and all of it, but I saw this, you know, and yeah. it's, not exploitative and it's you know it's not a scarface movie it's you know it's it's full of regret and it's full of sad scenes and it's full of of harsh truths and you know he deserves a little more than he got for bringing that well you did call him underrated he is underrated he's absolutely underrated and you know it's for the quality of the music he did you know he never got like i don't think he ever got like a rolling stone cover or a spin cover or anything like that I don't think so. No, 
but you know, he certainly sold records and was good, <laughs> you know, in, <laughs> important qualities. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. I mean, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, in the middle of the G funk era, you know, he was, he was a prime figure and, you know, he had that, he had that ice cube style of like, you know, people always forget ice cube was funny. Like ice yeah. cube, mm-hmm. ice cube was hilarious. Like he's you still know, alive, but yeah, yeah he, he yeah, was, well, yeah, he was but <laughs> those, you know, the record, right. you know, the records right. are canonized for being highly political and and mm-hmm. expressing realities that that the news didn't show the suburbs and doing all those wonderful things, which is all true. But yeah. he was also exceptionally funny, and Coolio did that exact same thing, where he was like socially conscious, yeah. but also really funny. Like his first single for Tommy Boy was about you know he was a rapper and still had to go stand in the welfare line, county line, yeah. county line. Yeah. You know, it's he. You know, he painted those things very vividly and with a sharp eye and a sharp tongue. And he deserves a little more credit than he got. Yeah. Uh, is weird Al versus Coolio a situation where you have to take a side? Coolio recognized the error of his ways mm-hmm. many years okay. later, you know, Coolio sure. <laughs> realized he was being ridiculous and has since Made amends with Weird Al. Yes, uh, he, he has. He calls it like the 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 not smartest thing he ever did. You know, <laughs> feuding with Weird Al. Yeah, um, you know, and now it's like you know. I think I just saw Coolio. I think Coolio has a really good sense of humor. I just saw him on that new Robert Smigel show. Right, uh, right, right. He's I and mean, you know even when he was around, like he was down with being funny. There was the one music video. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, what he had? Ooh la la. You know, mm. and he gets stuffed in the dryer and he's twirling around in the dryer like it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah. he, yeah. he was, he was down to, to goof around and have fun with this. You know, he, he was great. He still is great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Weird Al, like he has other rap parodies, like all about the Pentiums, white yeah. and nerdy, of course. I but think, like, I think Amish Paradise was the first. I think it was too. And I think... Uh, Unless you count the the Beastie Boys style parody Twister. Wow. Well, let's let's <laughs> litigate that some other time. Do you think do you think that Amish Paradise made Al leery of rap, of just just more careful that there was like an added dimension that he was dealing with when he parodies a rap song, and especially a rap song like Gangsta's Paradise, which is talking about like something very real and very visceral. Mm. You know, do you do you think that it changed the way Al thought about? what he did. I think and, Al has said like, look, you know, it was like the first time he did a rap song. There's, there's so many more words you can put in the song. <laughs> yes, so, he's, he did say that. You know, yeah, it's just you a can, volume thing. You can cram in so many more jokes and so many more things. If anything, the legacy of uh, Amish Paradise is helping kickstart nerdcore rap, uh, <laughs> which... <laughs> which is <laughs> uh oh yeah which is a huge minus in the owl pile okay as far I, was as gonna, I was gonna ask yeah i had a feeling yeah I had that's a feeling you, were you know that, that. that uh, you know but <laughs> he did uh white and nerdy not too not too long after that you know that that song yeah. dealt with some very heavy things too right you know right, and you know, right. it's like i i think once your song becomes part of the American firmament, mm-hmm. it's open for that type of stuff, <laughs> you know? And I think, I think most artists realize that maybe Coolio didn't realize that at the time, but he certainly realizes it now. And I think that might've even like helped kickstart like the, 
the third phase of Al's career. <laughs> it did. It did seem like it it revitalized him. Yeah. I think that's true enough. Um uh what is the cultural footprint of Gangsta's Paradise now? I was thinking a lot about this and I don't think Gangster's Paradise, for for something that was like a number one song for three weeks and just like Mm -hmm. the hands down hugest song of 1995, Mm -hmm. I can't say it has a huge cultural footprint as far as artists saying like, man, you know, when I was coming up, it was Biggie and Pac and Coolio. Like they don't, (laughs) they don't say that. However, however, I will say like, it was a really prescient song. It was really ahead of its time because a lot of rap right now is like this kind of sing song music about sadness and regret and repentance. That's true. You know, it's like you can, you know, people call it like a modern blues or whatever, but you can trace that kind of young boy NBA, Kevin Gates style of, you know, where they sort of, combine Coolio with LV and sort of paint this mm-hmm. picture of of this, you know, rough and tumble world they they live in. And you know, yeah, and then obviously Kendrick, mm-hmm. he'll say the mad and mad city stands for other things, but you know, yeah. WC that's Compton's own WC in the mad circle. He he alludes to that certainly. Yeah. Um we're talking here in early July 2021. We had a biz marquee death scare a couple days ago, uh, it's clear at the very least that Biz is in very poor health. Like, to your mind, how much overlap is there, Biz Marquis and Coolio? And like, we're starting to see not eulogies, but just a lot of tributes to Biz Marquis. And do you think people are treating Biz as the well-rounded figure, you know, that he deserves to be seen as in the same in the sort of Coolio vein? Well, you know, B- Biz and Coolio really have one thing in common, and that's their ability to appear on I Love the 90s package tours. <laughs> even though even though yes. I'm the guy who's going to be like, well, technically that song came out in 1989. Yeah, so, well, go. too bad. Yeah, I mean, Total and, Oak and Young MC are on there, too. Yeah, it's, no. Again, 89 like, is 89. in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, no. Definitely ruffles my nerd feathers. <laughs> Am I to expect this to be some type of magical rap song? Um <laughs> Uh, this has been absolutely fantastic. It is wonderful to see you, to hear your voice. Chris, do you have anything you'd like to plug today? Uh, well, Rob, in, in the words of a great poet, uh, I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. And, uh, this is spontaneous plugging you're doing right now. <laughs> and uh, I have become a, uh, a front-end developer. So if you think it would be at all clever or or neat to have the guy you heard on the Ringer podcast be your front-end developer. Uh, I know React.js, Node.js, JavaScript, CSS, Git, and Prisma. Uh, holler at me on LinkedIn. Damn. That's last question, Chris. How many CDs are on the wall behind you? Oh, man. Approximately. Uh, People can't see this. It's, it's yeah. what is it, 12... Rows stacked to the ceiling. Five. I would say, I would say it's about $350 worth at this point. <laughs> that is the way that is the way to count at this point. Chris Weingarten. I think that's a Papademus joke. Props to <laughs> God bless Papademus. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate of, it. Of course, of course. 
Thanks so much to our guest this week, Christopher R. Weingarten. Thanks to our producers, Isaac Lee and Justin Sales. And thanks to you for listening. And now, without further ado, here we have Coolio doing Gangsta's Paradise. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.